Good morning, everyone. I'm so thankful that there's a scripture in the Bible where it says, where two or three are gathered together, there am I. Well, there's a little more than that this morning. But we can be assured the Lord is here with us. As Larry said in his prayer, I'm just thankful that we have a church that we can go to. When I was growing up, my parents moved to an area that, that there was no church. And I, most of my youth was without a church. But our parents, they still set the example. They were very strong Sabbath keepers. And they never gave up the faith. But nevertheless, us children, we were raised without a church. But today we still have a church we can go to. And for that we ought to be very thankful. The thought in my for my sermon this morning is preparing for the journey. Now, most of us here this morning, we've already prepared for that journey. But yet, you know, sometimes when we prepare for a trip, we try to do all that we possibly can to make sure that we have everything that we will need on the trip. But maybe your wives and something like mine, Sometimes I tell her that she's taken everything but the kitchen sink. But nevertheless, we both, when we get down the road, so many times we happen to think that there was something we overlooked. And hopefully, as we re-examine the scriptures this morning, that if there is something that we've overlooked, that we will endeavor with God's help and the Holy Spirit with its help that we will pick it up and take it along with us as we journey toward the kingdom of God. This morning our main thoughts, our main thoughts will be taken from Joshua, the first chapter. Joshua, the first chapter. God's people are just about ready to enter the promised land. And God has a few words to say to Joshua. And these words that God speaks to Joshua, I have categorized them in various thought groups. The first one, as we journey toward the promised land, we need counseling. And this is what God did to Joshua. The first thought we're going to take up this morning from God's word. Joshua, the first chapter, verses 1 and 2. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord came Excuse me. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, 
Moses ministered, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. God is trying to get Joshua, trying to give him encouragement. Rise and go. Because I have promised you this land and you need to start that journey into the promised land. It was a wonderful promise, a land of which they had never been able to enjoy before, such a bountiful land that was going to produce so much for them. And they looked forward to it with great anticipation, just as we today look forward to that eternal home in that blessed kingdom. We've never enjoyed such a blessing as we have been promised. But here God tells Joshua, arise and start the journey toward the promised land. In Exodus, the 19th chapter, in Exodus, the 19th chapter, <clears throat> verses 7 and 8, it says, And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord had commanded him. In other words, commanded him to speak, give to the children of Israel. In verse 8, and all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now notice that. After Moses gave them the instructions, the encouragement, they said, All that the Lord has said, we will do. And we should be of the same frame of mind today. God says in his word, my ways are not your ways. And just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. But nevertheless, our attitude should be, Lord, all that you said we will do. What would be the purpose of starting this journey toward the promised land if we're not willing to do all that the Lord asks us to do and the directives that he has given us to live by. <clears throat> A lot to do has to do with our frame of mind, our attitude. What is it going to be like? Should it be like? Or it should be like the children of Israel. It's true, they failed at various times. One of the things that caused them to fail was the easy life that they were living. God promised them a land that would produce, be so productive they've never saw such crops before. And as naturally, when we start out, we start out with minimum. Minimal things and 
But as the Lord blesses, we increase. We might build a different home. We might get different equipment. And so the time came when life was so easy. They thought they did not necessarily need the help of the Lord. Now this was not intentional. I'm talking about their feelings. It just gradually came upon them as the years went by when they forgot all about how important the instructions of God was. And they began to do various things that was contrary to God's will and God became upset and he had to punish punish them to get their attention. And so once again, they would say, Lord, all that you have said, we will do. The same is today. Turn to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Paul is writing to the church at Hebron. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and the 22nd verse. Paul says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now notice now, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, change of attitude. From an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When we start on a journey, we make sure that everything is clean because possibly we do not, do not want to wash clothes while we're on our journey. And so we take enough to last us and also we want to make sure that those clothes are clean. And we've begun our journey toward the promised land and Paul says our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is not a literal water that we drink or wash your hands with. It's the word. You remember the time when Christ said a man must be born again. And it says he must be born of the water and of the spirit. And some people make the mistake and think that that is referring to baptism. Well, shouldn't we be born again before we're baptized? Baptism is only a show that we're bearing the old man. We've become a new creature. We've been washed before baptism. But we want to bury that old man, the old nature. And so we put him in, we go through the watery grave to rise to live a new life. The water there again is the word. Christ is saying we must be born of the word of God, the truth, and of the spirit. 
who must be born from above. And Paul tells the church in verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. All, as we go through life journey, many times we're tested. And as God puts us to the test, Paul is encouraging us not to waver, not to doubt, not to fear, but to remain stable in that commitment that we made with the Lord when we first accepted him as our Lord and Master. David, in the book of Psalms, in Psalms 119, we're talking about the counseling that the Lord gives us as we begin our journey. Psalms 119. One oh five, the verse one oh five. David says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God has given us a map to go by as we are traveling this road of life. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So many times when we begin a journey, we're not quite sure of the route that we're going to take. And so we get a map and we consult it and we look at it and we read it with our mind to get acquainted with it so that we would not have any problems as we travel. And so it is with God's highway of life. When we start out, there are many things that we do not know. And so we consult the road map that God has given us, the spiritual road map that God has given us in his word. And David is so, as I read this, I get the feeling that he's so thankful for the instructions that the Lord has laid out as they walk the road of life. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Thank you, God, for showing me the route to take. The route that's going to take me into the kingdom of God. So we, we must receive the right kind of counseling. Because if we read the road map the wrong way, or wrongly, we will not reach our destination. <clears throat> but if we read it correctly, it will take us direct to our destination. Paul gives us one of the thought of counseling in Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians, the third chapter. <clears throat> as he wrote to the church of Colossia. Colossians 3 and verse 12. 
Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. As Paul writes this to the church, he writes it in a way, sort of compares it to our clothes when we get up in the morning. We put on our clothes for the day. And you notice here, put on therefore. This is something that we have to do. God cannot do that for us. He can explain it to us. He can, he can uh, explain uh, what needs to be put on. But we're the one that has to put it on. <clears throat> because it will help us in our journey. And also we must remember that we are representing the church. I can't help but be disappointed. Well, I don't want to be disappointed. That's the wrong phraseology. <clears throat> I can't help but notice at times when we have con a convention, the way that some people come dressed. Now in our home, behind our four walls, brethren, what we do there is our business. But when we go somewhere where there's a convention or even downtown, people are watching us and we are representing the church. And people come to those to our conventions with short shorts on, topless blouses. We are representing the church. And then, this admonition in the scriptures addressed modestly, I believe, as much to the men as well as the women. <clears throat> but nevertheless, <clears throat> I've noticed so many times how people are careless in their dress. But Paul is telling us, put on the right kind of dress. Why? Because we are representing the church. We're rep representing God as we go through life. We are God's ambassadors, his representatives. And we need to show the people how God's people ought to dress. And here in these scriptures here, Paul is telling us, show the world how God's people acts and reacts to situations. Put on holiness, vows of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, being humble, Long-suffering. Don't be short-tempered, but long-suffering to those around us in our situation when we find ourselves in something unpleasant. Forbearing one another is something of which we all have to do and learn. It's something that we learn to do 
it, not, it is not something that comes naturally. And it's what he, that's why he said, put on these things that he mentions here. I'll say again, does not come naturally. Or else he would not have admonished us, encouraged us to put it on. So these things help us as we journey toward the promised land. But there's something else, another category that I want to mention as we journey. It is the certainty of our destination. Let us go back to Joshua, the first chapter. Joshua, the first chapter, to get our next thought. Joshua, the first chapter, the third verse. He said, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. God wanted Israel to know for a certainty what their destination was. They were going to go into a country, an area, and God said, when you get there, every place where you walk is going to be yours that you can enjoy as we go through life. And so it is today, we need to be certain that the place where we're headed is worth the expense and the trouble, if I can use that word, and the time. It's all going to be worth it. Turn to Revelation, the 21st chapter. Revelation, the 21st chapter. And the fourth verse. It says, And God shall wipe away all tears. Now notice the promise that he's given us. The information that he's given us. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. I tell you, brethren, it's going to be worth it. Yes, it's probably true. We may have to pass through some troublesome times. <clears throat> I'm so thankful that God has, my, has made my journey very pleasant. Oh, there's been some apprehensions at times, yes. But as a whole, it's been a pleasant journey. And as I look around me, there's been so many that the trip has not been so pleasant as mine, which makes me wonder at times, wonder at times why I am so privileged when I see so many having a hard time in their traveling toward the promised land and the things that happen to them. But he wants us to know that it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. 
It's going to be a time that we've never experienced before. <clears throat> Just as the thought that Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. He also mentions almost the same things that John does in Revelation. First Corinthians, the first chapter. No, this is the second chapter. First Corinthians, the second chapter and verse nine. He says, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Paul is telling us we cannot even imagine. It's far beyond what we have ever seen, anything we've ever seen in this life. It's going to be worth it, brethren. <clears throat> Thank God for verse 10. It says, But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. His Spirit is explaining to some degree, to some degree, what it's going to be like. But He just written in verse Verse 9, he says, Neither has it entered the heart of man. I can read the scriptures and I can get a picture of what it's going to be like, but it's not complete. It's not complete. Because I cannot imagine what it's going to be fully like. Why? Because we haven't seen anything to compare it with. We haven't seen anything to compare it with. But it's going to be worth it. It's certain because God has said it's going to be as such. And I serve a God that cannot lie. That's one thing. Well, first of all, throughout the scriptures, we get the impression that there's nothing God cannot do. And from that standpoint, it is true. But there's one thing he cannot do, and that is lie. The scripture says that. We serve a God that cannot lie. It's not his nature. It's not his nature. And that's why God cannot abide, cannot abide seeing. The two of them are not compatible in any way. So one of them has to go. Either we live in sin, continue to live in sin, and God is left outside, or will we accept the ways of the Lord, invite him into our life, but sin has to go. Sin has to go. That's why that God cleanses us from all sin, because he dwells within our bodies, and he doesn't want any sin there. And as long as we live according to his instructions, we live a sinless life. 
So God inspired Paul to write these words to us that we will know for a certainty that is true. The things that God describes is going to be as he says it's going to be. Let's go back to Joshua, the first chapter again, to get another category that I'd like to speak about. Joshua, the first chapter. Verse 5, first of all, then verse 9. Verse 5 says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. Now notice now, for I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. The Lord did not fail the children of Israel, and he will not fail us if we would only cling to him, his promises, and allow him to continue to give us the wisdom to make the choices in life and the strength from his Holy Spirit to live and to continue to journey. <clears throat> and so the children of Israel had companionship. That's the category that I want to speak about at this time. Companionship. God says that he would be with them he will travel with them. Let us notice Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, we find the great commission that he gives to the church. Something to do, something to fulfill, to accomplish. And so in Matthew, the 28th chapter, And the 20th verse, first of all, he says, go into all nations, teaching them, so forth. In verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever, whatsoever I have commanded you. This is our thought. And lo, I am with you always. Notice that. I am with you always. Have you ever felt that there was a time when God wasn't with you? That's commonly felt by all of us, one time or another. But here, Jesus speaks for his Father and he says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, to the end of your journey. God has made this promise to us through his son. Christ said, I will be with you always because that's the will of his father. He wants us to know that he will travel with us. We're not traveling this road alone. But we have someone that is with us. Now, fortunately, it hasn't happened to me, but nevertheless, I've heard various ones, and Brother Lowell Hendershot was one that shared his experience with me. If they were traveling at night, 
He started to pass this truck that was before him. He didn't see anything, but he's got the feeling he shouldn't pass. And so he pulled back behind the truck, and just as he did, the other car went flying by the other direction. God was with him and his and his wife. I don't know if the children were with them or not. But God said, I will travel with you. You're not traveling alone. And that's something we need to know. <clears throat> I've done a considerable time of traveling alone, and it's not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable. But when you have someone to talk to, and you know that they're there, it's a lot of company to know that their presence are with you. And so God wants us to know that he's with us and his son is traveling with us. And he will be with us even unto the end of the world, to the end, to the end of our lifetime. Paul wrote in, in Romans, in Romans the eighth chapter, Romans, the 8th chapter. It should give us encouragement as we continue to travel. Romans 8 and verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? What a statement, brethren. What a statement. If God be for us, who can be against us? There's no comparison. There's nothing we need to fear. Whether it's financially, protection, or whatever, God will supply if we'll just be patient and faithful to the commitment we have made to him. He will not leave us, nor forsake us. We must remember that in those times in which we feel alone, because we're not alone. God is there by our side. Let's go back for our concluding thought, and this will be our concluding thought. Joshua, the first chapter. Joshua, the first chapter. And the sixth verse. It says, be strong and of a good courage. Be strong and of a good courage. Our confidence is so essential, so important as we travel this life's road toward the kingdom. Confident that the promises of God is not beyond God's ability to perform. Whatever he's performed, whatever he has said, he's capable, capable, and can do, can do. 
God says, be strong and of a good courage. It's amazing. The signs of God's power was manifested so many times and, and so vividly and so strongly as he delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. But the first time they ran out of water, <laughs> what did they do? Complain. First time, and this is my thought, they missed a meal. <laughs> well, maybe more than one meal they thought they were missing. I don't want to be too hard on them. They started complaining. Moses, you just brought us out here that we can die in the desert. What good is it? Let's go back and be bondsmen again. Serve the Egyptians. At least we had something to eat. All childishness that they showed. But God says the where our confidence should be. Be strong and a good courage. And brethren, I hope and pray that our confidence is strong today and that it will remain strong and we get to the end of our journey, the kingdom. God bless.